And this is Rational Hour, yeah. Is it Rational? Yeah. I'm in the game when it's crunch time. Yeah. I call the play like the coach do. Tell them boys they can't touch my leap. example the way I'm supposed to. I got more reason a little bit, a little more than a lot. Only compare me to Bill, a better you feel. I'm sick of the skills. All I'm perfecting, I put them all on blast. Rational Hour, it's more than a podcast. Follow on Twitter, get done with the move. It's Friday night, and this is how we do it. Let's keep it objective, I'm talking statistics. Executive none, we're ethic ridiculous. I'm on a job, grind the pine. Wash King, while I'm still in my prime. Prime time when I'm on live, I just intercepted another bag. Homegrown, like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you a bad man. The game plans like a suspect. Get your coach's death, you do better. If you knew better, you do better. We're in a winning streak, we ain't losing. Never, never, never. And this is Rational Hour. Home run like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you, Batman. Said this is Rational Hour. If you knew better, you do better. We in a winning streak, we ain't losing never. Welcome to the Rational Hour with Ryan. On today's show, we are rolling out the red carpet. We have an icon in the building. Rational Hour. With over 50 years in Hollywood, a true pioneer in American cinema and television, everyone's favorite TV dad, Mr. John Amos. How you doing, sir? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for the honor of appearing on your show. I'm mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Now, John, how has 22 been for you uh, coming off the pandemic from 2020, the last two years? How's life been? Life has been good. My son, Casey, is a noted filmmaker. He and I have been traveling and different locations and adding all sorts of exotic footage to the biopic that he's working on. So uh, it's been an exciting year so far, and I'm looking forward to more of it. You're from East uh, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, East Orange High. Um, What was life like in your neighborhood growing up? Oh, it was a great place to grow up. East Orange was voted the cleanest city in the United States of America, two years running in Life Magazine. Life Magazine is no longer published, Hmm. to my knowledge. But at that time, it was voted the cleanest city in the U.S., two years running. And it was a great place to live, to work. There was always plenty of work if you had a work ethic. And uh, it was a good educational system, perhaps one of the best on the East Coast, if not in the United States altogether. Now, your your parents, John Sr. and Annabelle, uh, Amos, uh, what was your relationship like with your parents? Well, my dad was gone from the time uh, I was two years old. He went into the service, and he he didn't get uh, – he, he wasn't injured or, or he suffered no fatal wounds in the service. He just didn't come back in California for a while where he was inducted. And uh, it wasn't until I turned about 12 or 13 that we really got to know each other well. My mom raised me, and she had a, she was a tremendous mom, a tremendous mother. Uh, made sure I got I crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. Got a good education. She was very supportive of me and everything I wanted to do, including trying my hand at show business. So I had a, the best of both worlds. Uh, and later, when I got to know my dad, we we drew, we grew extremely close together. And I I love him, and I miss him to this day. I miss both my parents. Mm. Yeah, likewise, sir. Uh, it's tough when you your parent, one of your parents. I, I lost my father last year, and it's it's tough, man. So I know exactly what you mean when you, your parents touch your life in a certain way. 
No dope. Growing up at uh, East Orange High, the Jacks, uh, how did you develop your love for sports, and what made you become a running back in high school? Well, the opportunity to, to play football was one way of getting neighborhood approval, and to be a running back, that meant you were in line for uh, for glory and fame, possibly, if continued upon how good you were. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I loved the pageantry of the, the games on Saturday, getting dressed up in the game uniforms. It was all part of the process. And I began to harbor the illusion that I could possibly get a scholarship and maybe even play pro football. So that was my aspiration for a long time in my life, to play pro football. And I tried out for more teams than I even knew existed without any success. <laughs> in terms of making the NFL or the AFL at that time. But I did have some wonderful experiences. I learned what my life's calling was the second time I tried out for the Chiefs under Coach Hank Stram. Uh, Coach Stram and I had a good heart-to-heart talk, and he told me, he said, I think you've got another calling. He He had heard some of the poems that I'd written about football, particularly the Turk, that euphemism that they give to that guy that releases you from the team. And he said, I think he's got another calling. You may have very well have a career in the entertainment industry. And he was right, as he usually was about most things, Coach Engstrom, a legendary coach, Hall of Famer, and uh, probably gave me the best direction for my life's work of any direction that I'd been given at that point. Now, coming out of uh, East Orange, were you initially thinking about going to USC? Well, I wanted to go to USC, but I I wasn't that caliber of athlete that they sought after me. So I made myself, I, I rather I made SC aware of, of my aspirations and, uh, the late Al Davis responded to a letter I'd written to SC asking for a tryout, and he told me, he said, if you can make your way to New- to California from New Jersey, I can get you into a junior college program. And I made my way. I went to the mayor of East Stars and asked for a job uh, doing anything to raise the plane fare to get to California. And he- I got a job sweeping streets, and it was just uh, uh, for the summer. But it gave me enough money to fly to California and to to uh, enroll at Long Beach City College, the Vikings at Long Beach City College, and that gave me my shot at college ball my freshman year. And um, I had a, a lackluster career at Long Beach. I didn't set anything on fire. Uh, in fact, I, I didn't do that well at Long Beach. So I went back the following year and uh, basically the same results, but I was spotted by uh, another coach at a four-year institution, and I ended up with a scholarship to Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. And unfortunately, they were having one of the worst seasons in college football any team ever had. So the chances of me getting spotted by the pros and getting a chance were negligible. But nevertheless, uh, I tried innumerable times to uh, play pro football without any success, without any success that is in making the NFL or the AFL. 
I did play in the Continental Football League, and the uh, um, it was a pretty yeah. good league. I mean, we had teams all over the United States, and I got to play against some guys who had already established themselves in the NFL, and for one reason or another, got cut, and they were now playing in what they call the semi-pro league. But it was good mm-hmm. football, and I enjoyed it. Uh, how was it from being raised in East, you know, in New Jersey? Coming out to the West Coast was that a, a hard adjustment for you? Well, it was, it was, a, it was an adjustment that I had to make. The weather, for one thing, uh, I wasn't used to the California weather, and it was easy mm-hmm. to stay in shape because you could work out year round outside. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't used to the freeways, and the traffic was was unbelievable. About that time, I was just beginning to drive. And I just I got my first car about that time, so I had a little car that cost me about fifty bucks, an old Chevy as I remember, and it got me back and forth to school, and that's all I needed. So it was uh, it was an adjustment all the way around, but I enjoyed it. I loved the food. It was my first exposure to Mexican food, and the food in in Southern California was plentiful, and I ate my share of it. Now, one uh, tidbit that I found that was interesting, your high school classmate was uh, Dion Warwick? That's correct. Dion was probably the most famous person that I'd gone to high school with and probably the most famous person to come out of East Orange High in quite some time, if not ever. So she gave me a mark to shoot for, but I had no idea when I came out of high school that I would I would be headed for a career in the entertainment industry. It wasn't until years later that I began convinced that I could make it, and that was after many trials and tribulations. What got you into writing? Uh, the poem that you wrote, uh, The Turk, uh, how did that come about, and, and, and what made you think of that? Well, I've always expressed myself best with my writing long before any acting opportunities arose, and The mm-hmm. Turk is that euphemism they give to the guy that releases you from the team when your services are no longer required. And uh, it's a very unceremonious <laughs> procedure. They come to your room and they say, the coach wants to see you and bring your playbook, turn it in, You're, you've had it, that's it. So I, I had that happen so many times, I felt I had to put words to paper and pen to paper and oh. express it so others would appreciate it and know what it was all about, the Turk. Mm. So I sat down one night after a, a, a game in which I'd suffered a fairly serious injury. That is, I torn my Achilles tendon, and I had some Jack Daniels there to soothe the pain, and I guess that inspired me to write The Turk. And I did, and later I was to record it for NFL Films, and uh, I've had a number of players, guys who had, had successful careers, uh, request copies of it, and I provided copies of the Turk to them, and they've appreciated it. So it did find an audience after a fashion. Now, is that true that after you were released from Kansas City that your motorcycle was stolen? Yeah, what had happened was I had uh, bought a motorcycle, and I towed it on the back of my car to Mm -hmm. training camp. And when I got to training camp, and, uh, of course, I had no use for the car or the motorcycle, in training camp, you, you, we hardly left the grounds at all. 
you you train and you go to your room and sleep and get up the next morning and hit the training camp again. So I came out after I got released to find out my bike had been stolen. And Mm. I went down on the corner of, it's a very small town, Liberty, Missouri, where the training camp was located. And I uh, just listened to see if I could hear the sound of a motorcycle. I didn't expect anybody to be riding it, but I figured if anybody was riding a motorcycle in that town, they would know who else had a bike. So sure enough, a kid came by on a motorcycle, and I asked him, I said, do you know anybody around here that that, uh, rides a bike? He said, yeah. I said, well, my bike was stolen, and I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me where it might be. You don't have to finger the guy, but just tell me where it might be. And sure enough, he peels off. And he didn't ride out of sound range. I could, in other words, I could hear him as he as he uh, rode away, so I knew it wasn't too far. And he came back and he said, I know where your bike is. And I said, okay, when I recover the bike, I'll give you the 50. <laughs> so the bottom, <laughs> bottom line was I went to the kid's house, and his dad was there. And his dad had no idea where his son had gotten the motorcycle, but he – the kid fessed up to his father and told him why well, I stole it from the chief's training camp. Wow. And, um, and uh, his father offered me cash to drop the charges. And I said, I said well, give me, give, me, give me what I feel the bike is worth. And he did. And uh, I took off. I left him with the remnants of that motorcycle. And I drove on back east to trial for another team. Now, you, you break in to Hollywood, late 60s, early 70s. I, the first role you had was a football player? Well, I can't remember the exact first role that I ever had uh, that, that I got paid for. But at any rate, it led to my gaining confidence and enjoying uh, a long and, quite frankly, a luxurious career. I've had right. career on stage, film, and movies, and uh, it's worked out just fine so far. So far, mm-hmm. so good. I'll put it that way. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, your career is um, just uh, you know, iconic, just from decade to decade. Um, you, you, I, my first, the first role that I looked up that I, I don't know if I was right, but it's at the Tim uh, Conway comedy show as a football player. Uh, and sixty-eight. Tim was an iconic comic, and he was mm-hmm. a wonderful guy to work with. He, he kept me laughing all the time. So I had mm-hmm. a brief relationship with Tim on the Tim Conway Comedy Hour, along with mm-hmm. several other players who formed a nice ensemble. And it mm-hmm. was a it was a good experience for me, and I learned a lot, and I began to develop the confidence that would that would uh, serve me in good stead in the entertainment industry. Yes, yes. Uh, now, in 73, you, you got a chance to work with Red Fox on Sanford and Son. Uh, what was your relationship like with uh, Mr. Fox, and, and how did you like being on the show with, with him? Well, I knew I was working with a legend, so all I had to do was just keep my mouth shut at the appropriate places and open it when I was told to. And uh, Red didn't didn't uh, didn't bite his tongue when he came to letting you know that he was a star and that he was it was his show, but he was very—he was very conscientious of the fact that there were other talented people around him, and he had no fear of of uh, talented actors around him. In fact, he encouraged that, because he said, "The better they are, the better the show is." 
and he was mm-hmm. he had been a, a vaudeville veteran, and when he got his chance for his TV show, he never forgot those guys that came along with him during those early years of vaudeville, and he brought them along and put them in the show to give them a chance at, at fame and a reasonable salary. So he was a, a very thoughtful guy from that standpoint. And people don't know that about Red, but he was very loyal to his old-time buddies. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, my father's favorite. Uh, he reminds me so much of Red Fox, very uh, resembled uh, his, him as, as, just as a look. Um, the show was just iconic, man. Saffron Sun was just one of the ones that goes down and, and, and infamy as one of the great sitcoms of all time, along with him as a comedian. Now, in 74, uh, you land uh, the infamous role of uh, James Evans Sr. Uh, when you auditioned for the role uh, on Good Times, was that something you knew was a hit, or what did you think about the role when you went into casting? Well, when I was given the opportunity to audition for the role, I felt very confident about it because I had had a certain degree or a, at least – an appreciable amount of stage work at that time, and nothing prepares an actor for acting in other mediums like the stage. It's, it's the ultimate litmus test for an actor to work on stage, and I had done quite a bit of stage work, as I said. So I felt confident. I had no idea how the pilot was going to turn out. We did the pilot, and then we had to wait a certain amount of time while the network made a decision as to whether or not it would go to series. Well, obviously, it ultimately did go to series, and I was grateful for that, even though I had worked on the Mary Tyler Moore show, a very successful series prior to that, Hmm. prior to good times, that is. So I knew the routine, and I knew the the format for working in a television series. It meant that you had a regular job, which is in itself a blessing in the entertainment industry and pretty hard to come by at times. Norman Lear, uh, the great director, um, how was he when you first met him auditioning for the role? Well, he was a, he was a master. Uh, he knew exactly what he wanted. He, he was quite successful, as everyone now knows, and he was the man that would change the face of television. So we got along great until the series started, and then our relationship deteriorated somewhat as – relationships will when you're working with someone day in and day out, year after year. Mm. But we ultimately uh, uh, got back together several times and did a a few pilots together. And uh, to this day, I think Norman had the greatest influence on my career of anything that has ever happened in my entertainment industry, uh, in the entertainment industry, as far as John Amos is concerned. So I, I, admire Norman to this day. We we worked together recently when he did a recapitulation of Good Times uh, on his TV show. And it, it went well. It was well received. And I learned that a great many people have come to appreciate the show as it's become part of American history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the subject matter of the show was really what hit home for so many people just because they can relate. J.J. getting shot, teenage pregnancy, um, child abuse. Um, the writers did a phenomenal job just um, relating to the people. Yes, they did. And Norman was 
probably the most courageous and advanced thinker in the entertainment industry as far as situation comedy goes, and quite frankly, as far as television goes. He was not afraid to tackle difficult issues that you've mentioned. Mm. The show was supposed to be mimicking the Chicago Project's uh, Jabrini. Is it Jabrini Green? Cabrini. Pardon, Cabrini. Uh, excuse me. Cabrini Green Projects. Yeah, it was supposedly uh, fashioned after the Cabrini Green Projects in Chicago. Correct. Your time working there uh, recently, um, I was just watching Jay-Z walk on an interview, and he was saying that, he felt that the continuity of the cast was together, that the show would have went off for much longer. Do you, what do you say to that when you hear something of, of that of statement from Mr. Walker? Well, he's entitled to his opinion. I don't know if I necessarily agree with him or even uh, or even disagree. I just never gave it that much thought. Once they mm-hmm. killed my car, I really had no concerns about that particular show. Mm. Okay. Now, the role of Mr. McDowell uh, working with Eddie Murphy, when you first got the script for Coming to America, did you realize you had a hit on your hands when you read it? Well, I knew it could be successful because of Eddie's uh, unmatched talent as an actor, as a comedic actor. I don't think there's ever been anybody in this quite had Eddie Murphy's timing and ability to make those transitions. People forget how many characters he's played and how many uh, iconic films. So Mm -hmm. I knew that uh, the show had a chance to be successful, but none of us knew that it was going to be the iconic hit that it ultimately became. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not. I don't know. The, 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 The Big Mick and the Big Mac. Uh, Samuel Jackson's role, you know, that was just an iconic movie. Um, but do you have a favorite part in the movie or a favorite line in the movie? I don't have a favorite line, but I enjoyed the entire film. I thought it was well-written, well-acted by everyone that participated, and uh, obviously the public took it to heart. It was mm. a wonderful for me, and I'll always treasure the success of uh, Coming to America, the original. Such on uh, Alice Haley's book, you know, Roots, the, the miniseries, one of the the biggest rated shows in American history, um, 100 million views uh, at the time was just a record-breaking uh, rating at the time. Uh, that was a really great cast with Cicely Tyson, Lou Gossett Jr. It's been about 45 years since it came out. That role was such a huge role for you playing Kuta Kinte. Now, how special is that in your eyes as far as the movie and the role that you played? As an actor, I couldn't have appreciated it more because it firmly established me as an actor who could do comedy as well as do drama. It, it definitely sealed the deal for me as as my ability to do drama. And, of course, I said my confidence to do dramatic work had been already bolstered by the stage successes that I'd had and the public response that I'd received from my stage work. So to have a successful uh, dramatic series in the form of Roots and to work with such iconic actors as Louis Gossett Jr., 
who had won the Academy, who went on to win an Academy Award, amongst other awards in recognition. It was very, very gratifying. 84 and 85, uh, Mr. Amos, you were cast on the A-Team and on um, the show Hunter, um, both athletes and actors. Um, did you have a certain preference as far as roles that you took on, or did you turn down a lot of roles uh, early in your career? I turned down a few of them, but the ones that I took I enjoyed for the most part, and the work with Freddie Dreyer, who was a former uh, NFL star on Hunter, where he played a detective, that was a treat because uh, Eddie, uh, uh, Fred Dreyer, rather, had no, he, he had no uh, qualms at all about playing a, a rough and tough detective. And he was a fairly good actor, too. He, he enjoyed it, I think, for the most part. And I certainly enjoyed working Your current movie that just came out, Block Party, uh, Phase Nine Love, uh, Golden Brooks, uh, what could our audience expect from that? I know it just came out in June. Uh, how did you like working on this new uh, movie that just re released? Well, time will tell if the audience takes it to heart. I enjoyed it, and the check didn't bounce. What can I tell you? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Mr. Amos, just for for uh, our audience and um, our viewing pleasure, do you have a top five running backs of all time in your eyes? Oh, I've had the pleasure of of watching and in some cases seeing them live. I'd have to say uh, Jim Brown is the yardstick by which all running backs must be measured. Barry Sanders is a superb running back. Uh, I got to see some of these guys in college when they were just beginning to light up the, the world with their abilities. But uh, I would say Jim Brown and Barry Sanders are two of my absolute favorites all time. Of course, there were other great running backs in that genre. So I guess it would be a matter of what kind of style did you like. Did you like the elusive backs or the power backs? I just like guys that get yards and get into the end zone. So those two would definitely be amongst the greatest running backs that I've ever had the experience of seeing, knowing, or playing with, or against, or just mentioning their names. Now, you, you've had the pleasure of working with a lot of icons in Hollywood. Um, and Mr. Amos World, who is the top five or your Mount Rushmore of actors if you were to have one? I would say Denzel Washington, who I've worked with on stage and in film, would be my number one. We've I've had the pleasure of working with him in both mediums. He portrayed my father, ironically mm -hmm. enough, on stage as well as on film, in film, really. So I would say easily, without comparison, Denzel Washington would probably be my favorite actor of all time to work with. And I look forward to doing it again at some point in the future. Who are your favorite music artists to listen to in your spare time or in your playlist? I would say uh, recently um, I've re rediscovered The Grateful Dead, thanks to my son, who's a, a musician himself. He's quite a proficient. And years ago he became a Grateful Deadhead, 
and I, I never could get it. Initially, I was because I from Jersey and close proximity to Birdland and all the other wonderful clubs in New York. Jazz was my thing. But later, I came to appreciate the Grateful Dead, their musical ability, and that of their band members. And since then, I would, I'd have to say they and Miles Davis and the other icons of that era, uh, they would be amongst my favorite musicians of all time. I, I just, I love good music. And I think overall, the quality of music has deteriorated uh, compared to what it was when I was coming along. That's just my opinion, though. It doesn't make it a fact. Interesting. A big uh, Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, last season, the Bengals lost. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs lost to the Bengals and in, in the AFC uh, Championship. Uh, how do you think they will? How do you think the season will play out in 22? And did you agree with the team to trade Tariq Hill? Well, uh, time will tell. I know that it sounds like I'm, I'm avoiding the issue, but I do <laughs> believe that and the Chiefs will. Uh, emerge again to be a successful leader in the league and be a winning uh, a winning franchise. Uh, I don't see how it can go any other way with, with, with a quarterback like Mahomes at quarterback, a talent like him at quarterback, rather. Uh, they can't help but rise again. So I'm looking forward to another one for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's my club life. Win, lose, or draw, I'm a Chief. Now, do you think Tariq will flourish in Miami, or do you think Mahomes kind of made him? Well, I think that he he fit perfectly into the Chiefs' offense, oh. mm -hmm. and whether or not he uh, has comparable success with uh, another franchise, it depends on the game plan and how they use him and his surrounding players. But he's got mm -hmm. the talent. Whether or not he'll shine as brightly as he did at Kansas City remains to be seen. Mm. Yeah, we shall see, man. The, the cheetah, man, speed to burn. Oh, speed to burn is an understatement. He can move. <laughs> right. Uh, man, i never seen. I, I know. Now, uh, any advice, Mr. Amos, lastly, before we let you go, uh, that you would give our audience and the next generation as far as any expiring actor or anyone that's on the road to trying to have the next level of their career? I would tell them to do as much stage work if it's at all possible to become involved in stage productions because it will provide them with confidence and it will provide them with the experience and atmosphere that they'll need if they really intend to embark on acting as a career. If it's just a one-time thing and they're just passing through and they really aspire to be an engineer or something else, don't bother. But if you're going to pursue it as your life's work, you definitely need to get some stage chops. That'll give you the confidence you need to, to make the long run. And stars you see come and go in this industry, particularly with today's disposable careers and things. But for the most part, the actors that I really respect and that I admire and emulate are those that have had stage experience. And that would be applicable to so many actors that I've worked with, Denzel Washington, Ernest Borgnine, so many, so many wonderful actors who had stage careers and successful stage careers in addition to their work in, in film, rather, 
or on television. This uh, ending year from you, uh, is Casey still doing the biopic of your life and career? Oh, most definitely. In fact, Casey's here. I'd like him to weigh in on the biopic because he can yeah, comment if he could, on please. as a director. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you uh, just connecting with me. To inspire people that, that have eyes on it, and I appreciate you watching. But uh, as far as far as the biopic, we've been working on it about a year and a half and uh, going out to, to the various gigs that my father gets and um, cap- capturing his interactions with, like, Kevin Hart on, on a new film called Me Time. And, you know, we, we captured the, his interactions uh, on, on Block Party and, um, and you know, getting his peers – to appear in, in the interview and in, interview them as, as far as like Margaret Avery. So it's been give, it gave Pops a chance to, to step behind the camera and, you know, and, and do some producing and stuff, which, which that's where he's, he's aiming for now. And uh, so it's, it's been a wonderful experience get, getting to work with my father and travel to various locations. We, we've gone to uh, Liberia, Africa and West Africa and, and a num- number of different places in, in the states and uh, the Caribbean as well, Jamaica and uh, the Virgin Islands, and uh, it's been amazing. And uh, we're, we're expecting it to have not not only be a be a historical and iconic piece with like his, his people he's worked with, like Norman Lear and and stuff, but it's, it's going to be very cinematic as well and show some beautiful locations. I just wanted to know from your perspective, just growing up. Uh, how was it for you? I know when you were a small child, your father was on Roots. Um, how was that experience for you, just growing up and having such an iconic father? It was it was a very unique. I, I remember early on, you know, he, he would wake me up to go to the set. You know, mm-hmm. at the crack of dawn, it'd be like six six a.m. And you know, the first couple of days I was excited, but by the by the third day, I had my lip poked out. And he said, son, you, you poke your lip out any farther, you're going to uh, trip over it. And the, the reason why was because when, when we get to set, they, they would send me over to the sandbox with the rest of the youngsters. And, and I, had, I, had, I had already realized that they were doing a form of make-believe, you know. So I, I would stand over by the sandbox and, you know, I was pouting basically because I, I knew they weren't, they weren't going to let me play make-believe yet so i decided very early on and i said well they're, they're not going to let me play with the big kids right now but i'll get my chance sooner or later and uh mm. it, it it eventually came around when when i got a chance to go to film school and go to cal arts and start start producing my own work did you have a favorite role that your father played i mean he's been in so many uh tv and and, and movies as well, I, I remember the the impact that that Roots had because I, mainly because I was I was with my mom's side of the family in, in Iowa, and uh, it, was, it was a it was it was interesting because back then everybody uh, we we were at a lake on vacation and everybody gathered around the main lobby where they had a TV and there there must have been about fifteen or twenty people that gathered around to watch it and when they chopped off Kunte Kinte's foot. You know, I, I, I was sitting like five feet away from the TV, but I turned around and I saw everybody get choked up and I seen grown men, you know, a, a, a tear drop from their eye. And and that was more motivation for me to pursue being in a, being a filmmaker and pursue the entertainment industry because I said, wow, you know, my father's involved with, with something very important that he's, he's, he's allowing 
he's allowing people a chance to see another perspective and think a lot. And uh, I, I realized then that he was involved with something very important. So I, I would have to say Roots and the, char- the character of Kunta Kente was uh, the most inspiring for me. Thank you so much, man. I am truly honored to have you and your father on the show. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm still in shock, but I really thank you um, for just taking the time to come on the show and blessing our listeners um, with the insight of you and your father's life and career and um, just everything going on right now in your guys' life. Well, we, we appreciate you reaching out. And uh, once, once we have the biopic completed and uh, ready for release, we'll, co- we'll come back on and uh, do some publicity. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Um, do you have an um, a ETA time frame of when it might be released here or the early 23? Well, def- definitely in twenty uh, in uh, twenty twenty three. Uh, you know, we're kind of leaving it open. To, there's a lot of lot of uh, my father's peers that we want to we want to work in mm-hmm. there from from Tom Tom Hanks, to Eddie Murphy, you know, all all the people he's worked with. So it, it does take some time get, getting these people and and to sit down and do an interview like Anthony Anderson and stuff like that. But uh, we're, we're thinking by the end of this year we we should have it all buttoned up. Okay, I'll definitely be in touch with you, man, and. Uh... I'm just thanking you for your time this time until next time. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey and John Amos, thank you for coming on the show. Take care.